Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. You probably think you know fairy tales. Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood. You probably think that they're cute and boring. But the real stories aren't cute and boring at all. The grim fairy tales were weird and sometimes gross and often scary. And in the podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, you can listen along with a group of other kids as I tell them those tales. The episodes are sometimes grim, sometimes grimmer, and sometimes grimmest. But no matter how creepy it gets, we'll always have a great time guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and discussing what these tales mean to us. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This electrifying tale, Story Club members, might make you not want to play with monsters. It's one I call, She's Alive, Alive! The monster opened its eyes for the first time. She turned to me. She was alive, alive! Then she rose, snapping the metal bindings that held her down. She climbed off the operating table and then charged at me. How did it come to this? Where did I go wrong? Three weeks ago, I was just your average girl, Elsa Franks, in school. At age 11, I was at the top of my class, especially in the sciences. My surname is Franks, but I'm told it used to be Frankenstein. My grandfather, Victor Frankenstein, was a brilliant scientist. He figured out how to give life to lifelessness. He stitched together a man from the body parts of corpses and reanimated him through the use of chemicals and electricity. However, my grandfather realized the error of what he had done and banished the monster from his life. Frankenstein's monster, in turn, ended up destroying his creator and was never seen or heard from again. Accounts believe that the monster ended up somewhere alone in the North Pole. This happened in 1814. My mother received a letter that the Frankenstein estate, which was bound up in legal courts, was finally settled. She owned it now. Wanting to make a better life for me, she moved us to the old Frankenstein Manor, which is located in beautiful Geneva, Switzerland. Though there was a housekeeper, Mrs. Mary Klein, the old dark mansion had fallen into a ghastly state from years and years of weather and neglect. Mother decided to sell the place once we arrived. There were too many memories in the house for her, painful ones of her childhood, and her father's neglect when he spent most of his time in his laboratory. Oh, the lab. I'd only heard rumors and stories of my grandfather's work, and I had to see it for myself. But there was no lab that I could find. Not until I learned from the housekeeper that the door leading to it was hidden behind a revolving bookcase. The lab had been transformed into an old wine cellar. Most of it was dusty vials on the table. There was still the operating table where he'd brought the monster to life. Then I discovered something interesting. A hidden door. A mouse had emerged from behind the stone wall and then, seeing me, disappeared back behind it. 
With my lantern, I discovered a small wooden door. It had a large lock on it, but after sticking a screwdriver in the lock, I managed to pick it. The dusty lock opened. In the room, I made the discovery. A woman. She was in a coffin made of glass. No, not a coffin, it was a container. It was filled with some kind of translucent fluid. My grandfather must have been working on two monsters. This one must have been a mate for his creation. All of his notebooks, I was told, were confiscated by the authorities and destroyed. Peering through the dusty glass, I could see that the female monster was stitched together like a ragdoll, obviously from various parts of the dead. She appeared like she was sleeping, but there was no way she was alive in that vat of fluid. The second discovery I made was another journal. It was hidden in a drawer in the secret room. It was a second journal that my grandfather kept only about this creation. He had detailed plans about how to bring her to life. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I had to see what would happen. A few days later, a violent lightning storm was coming. I took the body out of the fluid and placed her on the operating table in the main laboratory. She was heavy, but I managed to wheel her in a wheelbarrow. I hooked her up to the electrodes and waited. It was in the middle of the night. Mrs. Klein and my mother were asleep. The lightning struck the rod on the roof, which I had found and re-erected up there. Blue electricity pulsated through the woman on the table. Nothing happened at first, and then she awoke and rose, wearing some old clothes I'd found in a closet. She leapt off the table and came at me, knocking me down. She wanted out. I couldn't stop her as she was too strong. She crashed through the bookshelf, through the house, and out the front door. The house was awake now. I couldn't stop the monster. The last thing that she said to me before she vanished into the rainy, windswept countryside is, I live. I really have some explaining to do now that my mom and the housekeeper were rushing down the stairs. Lots of explaining. Well, that was a rather electrifying story. But hey, kudos to Elsa Frankenstein for figuring out how to make a long dead monster live. When I was her age, I couldn't even figure out the microwave to cook a frozen bean and cheese burrito. I do wonder what's going to become of the lady monster though. Will she terrorize the local village, hide from humanity, or go and find her monster mate, wherever he is? It seems like a pretty monstrous problem. <laughs> Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This burdening tale, Story Club members, might weigh upon your mind for quite some time. It's one I call Free Trunk, Not Haunted. The antique steamer trunk sat in the yard of the old house. It had a handwritten note on it that said, Free Trunk, in large letters, and in smaller letters in parentheses, Not Haunted. Um, yeah, usually when someone claims an inanimate object is not haunted, it usually is, Avery Quinn thought. Well, free is my favorite price, her dad said as he unlatched the trunk and peeked inside. It smells old and creepy, Dad. It's a nice old trunk. It'll make a great restoration project. Oh, sure. Her dad had a garage full of restoration projects that he'd picked up from the side of the road like this trunk. They all sat in there gathering dust instead of him fixing them up and reselling them like he had promised himself he would do with each new junkie antique acquisition. Her dad loaded the steamer trunk, which was as large as Avery, into the back of the car and they headed home. Fifteen minutes later, her father unloaded the trunk in the garage, said something about grabbing the sander and stripping the old varnish off it, then went into the house and laid down on the couch for a nap. So like her father. Avery went about her day, but nighttime was a different story. Boom, boom, boom. A knocking noise awakened her with a start. At first, Avery thought there was somebody at the front door. 
Squinting at the blood-red letters on her digital clock that read 1213, she wondered who would be knocking on the door in the middle of the night. Nobody good. She tried to go back to sleep, but the knocking wouldn't stop. Boom, boom, boom. Climbing out of her bed, Avery shuffled to her parents' room. They were both asleep, and so was their Pomeranian, Felix. Even the dog, who would usually bark at the wind, wasn't disturbed by the post-midnight pounding. So weird. Avery stepped into the dark living room, starting to feel anxious. Boom, boom, boom. No, the knocking wasn't at the front door. It was coming from the garage. Avery walked slowly to the back door, snapped on the light, and peeked through the door window into the garage. There was nobody out there, and she couldn't see anyone outside the garage door either, which had windows. And if somebody was there, they would have tripped the automatic floodlights anyway. Boom, boom, boom. Nope, the knocking was coming from somewhere inside the garage. Against her better judgment, Avery opened the back door to the garage and wandered out into the center of all the junk in the middle of the floor. The room was filled with so many old wooden bookcases, bureaus, cabinets, chairs, and now the steamer trunk that there was no room for her mom and dad's cars, which were parked outside of the garage. She always thought that was a little illogical. Her dad filled the garage with all his free old junk nobody wanted and their new expensive cars sat outside in the rain. Boom, boom, boom. The knocking was coming from inside the trunk. This is nuts, she thought. There's no way I'm gonna open a free old creepy trunk that said not haunted 12 hours ago. But what if an animal had gotten caught in it? Maybe their orange tabby cat Sabrina was somehow caught in there. She would be scared, hungry, and tired. Maybe she would run out of air and die. Avery unlocked the tarnished gold lock and flung open the lid. Nope, Sabrina wasn't in there. Nothing was. In fact, it was as empty as it was when she first peeked in there this afternoon with her father. A moment later, Avery felt a force like two invisible arms pulling at her, and a moment later, she tumbled inside the trunk and the lid slammed shut. She panicked. There wasn't enough air in here, and she pounded on the lid as hard as she could. Boom, 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 and screamed for help. A moment later, though, the floor of the trunk seemed to vanish, and Avery found herself falling down a dark tunnel. Another moment later, she realized she wasn't alone. There were other people, kids and adults, who were all down in this chamber. All were trapped and had fallen into the trunk. They all told her they were trying to escape. Sometimes they would find their way through the darkness to the lid and pound on it, only to fall back down into this dim chamber. No, Avery thought. I'm not staying down here. My parents need to know where I'm at. My friends, my teachers at school, my dog and cat. She climbed back up the dark tunnel she'd fallen down. And this time, she hoped they would answer. So much for this not being a haunted trunk. Ah, poor Avery Quinn. Her parents woke up and didn't find her in bed. They didn't find her anywhere and put out search parties. The trunk still sits alone and dusty in the garage to this day. Hopefully, one day, Avery and her new friends, the trunk people, will all find their way home. Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you. And the episodes feature laughs, burps, 
and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your beautiful host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This Spirited Tales Story Club members might make you take the elevator instead of the stairs. It's one I call the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. Since the invention of photography in 1826, photographers around the world have captured images, many ghostly in nature. In fact, the occupation of capturing ghosts on camera was aptly named spirit photography, which is still a popular picture-taking subject nearly 200 years later. One of the most famous ghost photographs ever taken came out of Norfolk, England in 1936 when photographers from Country Life magazine published a picture of a ghostly female figure floating above a grand staircase in Raynham Hall. It's one of the most widely seen ghost photographs and is easily found online. The question is, is the photograph real or just a clever hoax? According to legend, the aforementioned ghost is Lady Dorothy Walpole. Born in 1686, Dorothy was the sister of Robert Walpole, the first prime minister of Great Britain. She died in Raynham Hall in 1726 due to smallpox. The first sighting of the Brown Lady was in the Christmas of 1835. Lord Charles Townsend, who occupied the hall at the time, invited guests to attend the holiday celebration. Two guests claimed to have seen a lady in a brown dress outside of their bedrooms. She was described as having empty eye sockets that were dark in her glowing face. A year later, another sighting occurred, this time from Captain Frederick Marriott, a popular novelist who stayed in one of the proclaimed haunted rooms. He wanted to prove that ghost stories were invented only by local smugglers to keep people away from the area. It all kind of sounds like the plot of a Scooby-Doo episode, am I right? However, Captain Marriott wrote extensively about his encounter with the Brown Lady, even drawing a pistol to protect himself from the disembodied spirit. Another sight of the Brown Lady occurred on the stairs in 1926, 10 years before the famous photograph was published. The photographers for Country Life magazine were snapping off pictures when an apparition appeared on the staircase. The photographer, Captain Hubert C. Provent, at the direction of his assistant, Indre Shira, who noticed the vaporous manifestation, snapped off the now-famous photograph, which was published in the UK magazine on December 26, 1936, and later in Life magazine on January 4, 1937. Later on, many skeptics attempted to disprove the photograph. Many even set up a camera and recreated what they believed Captain Provend and Indre Shira had photographed, a person in a sheet double exposed over a staircase. Others claimed that it was a photograph of a statue of the Virgin Mary superimposed over the Raynham Hall staircase. But I know I would love to personally visit the famous hall in Norfolk, England with my good friend and psychic medium Autumn Nash, just to see if we can stir up Lady Dorothy Walpole, aka the Brown Lady. Until then, though, we'll just have to rely on this famous black and white photograph, a copy of which I have in my bedroom on the wall. Because, you know, I'm mostly ghostly like that. <laughs> now, my beloved listeners, it's time to use your brains. I've got a puzzle for you to solve, so get out your pens, take some notes, and listen up tomorrow when I tell you the answer. Alrighty, here's the puzzle. You decide to enter a haunted house with your friend, because who wouldn't, am I right? As you enter, an eerie silence embraces you and you can see nothing because it's dark. You fumble your way and try your luck to find the switches, but it turns out to be a waste of time because there is no electricity connection to the house. 
when you decide to turn back, the door closes on you and you are trapped in the house with your friend, who has now started panicking. While you're trying to console her, an evil laughter takes you by surprise. Then you see a faint figure who tells you that you have three doors in front of you and you must take one of them. It's the only way to free yourself from the house. The figure tells you that the first door opens up to a compact space filled with a swarm of deadly bees and you'll be stung endlessly by them. The second door opens up to electric chairs that you both will be strapped to for five minutes. And finally, the third door opens up to a pit that has no bottom and you and your friend will keep falling endlessly into nothingness. While these three choices leave you and your friend panicked, which doors should you choose? Come back tomorrow for the answer to this puzzle. And of course, another wicked tale from yours truly, because every R.L. Stein Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out. Go, kid, go. Food is an important part of our lives. Not only do we need it to be strong and healthy, but it can be a way we connect with others, like when you're sitting around the dinner table with friends or family. So what happens when someone commits a food crime? Food crimes are things like sneaking Halloween candy before school with a sibling, or making dessert that only you like, even when the whole family was looking forward to dessert. There are two sides to every story, so when a food crime is committed, we simply have to hear the whole truth. And in the show Food Crimes, you can listen as real kids bring their real stories to the food court. They explain the crime in question and make their case to the judge. So if you'd like to see if justice is served, be sure to listen to Food Crimes wherever you listen to podcasts.